This is episode 86 in the season 5 premiere of Actorcast with Todd Sussman. Welcome to Actorcast, the podcast that broadcasts the work, advice, and insight of actors, writers, directors, producers, and other industry experts in show business. I'm your host, Patrick McAndrew. Sit back, take notes, and enjoy the show. Hello, 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 ActorCasters, and welcome to another season of ActorCast. This will be our fifth and final season of the show. It has been an incredible run with you all, and I promise you, we have some incredible guests joining us for our last season of the show. It really is going to be an opportunity to just fully digest what you've learned and retained throughout these five seasons. And I believe me, we are going to be going out with a bang. And to start us off for this season, I am so happy to have on Todd Sussman. Todd Sussman has been a professional actor since 1969. He's been a regular in six television series and a recurring character in 15 or more, including five years recurring as Officer Shiflet, the town cop in Newhart. Todd has done 22 television pilots, a myriad of movies made for TV, and performed in countless episodic television shows, voiceovers, and on-camera commercials. He was the public address announcer in the TV series MASH for eight years, and the man from Mitsubishi for another eight years on radio. Todd starred as Wilbur Turnblad in Hairspray on Broadway. He recurred as Jason Biggs' father in Orange is the New Black, and recently filmed episodes of Blue Bloods, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, The Good Fight, For Life, and Bull. Todd worked with Denzel Washington in The Taking of Pelham 123 and Al Pacino in You Don't Know Jack. For the past 10 years, Todd has added writing plays, teaching, and coaching to his repertoire. It's safe to say that Todd is coming from this industry with a wealth of knowledge, with so many years of knowledge that has compounded, and we get to benefit from that with having him on the show today. We talk a lot about just some of the things that Todd has seen throughout his career as an actor. We talk about what inspired him to become an actor and a coach. We discuss why making decisions is so important in the audition process, how actors could actually tap into their imperfections and how that could help them out. And then we also discuss why it's so important not to pander to the audience. This episode is just chock full of wisdom. There's so much more that we go into besides that. If you like this episode, please be sure to share it with a friend who you think it might resonate with. So without further ado, let me please introduce today's guest of ActorCast, Todd Sussman. I'm so excited to chat with you on the show today. I had the opportunity to study on-camera acting with you at the Neighborhood Playhouse this summer, and I felt like every- And you were good. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. What, what I You're loved right. about the class, Todd, is that 
uh, every class I went to, I just felt like I was just like writing all every single thing that you said in class, just like every single quote. And you, you obviously come from years of experience within the industry and being a student in your class, uh, the, just the way you teach is, I, I found it to be very approachable and very digestible at the same time. I feel like sometimes uh, in the acting world, things could get very heady and you had this way of just giving it to us straight. It really just kind of allowed me to figure out, okay, what is it that I need to continue working on? So for those reasons, I was very excited to reach out to you and then for you to say that you're down to come on the show. It's great to have you here. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm wondering if we could uh, first start out uh, just by sharing a little bit about yourself. What inspired you personally to become an actor? You've been doing this for many years now. And then kind of on the tail end of that as well, what then inspired you to get into coaching? Um, I wasn't inspired to be an actor. I'm a show off and I always have been. And um, had a uh, folk singing group when I was in junior high school, high school and college or parts of college. And um, that seemed like uh, was satisfying for a show off, but we didn't become very successful. Didn't meet enough gals through our, uh, through our songs and so forth. So I figured out when I became a junior and you had to declare a major as we used to do back in the day, I don't know if you still do that, but I figured what else can a show off do? And then I said, well, I'll try acting. So um, I tried acting, I was at Ohio University. I'm a Midwestern guy and uh, the acting class was closed. I was late. Um, applying so the guy said well if you can do a convincing butterfly for us uh, we'll let you in so I gritted my teeth spread my wings and started flitting around the class <laughs> and uh, they got a kick out of it I don't know I don't know what it, it probably was horrendous but I got in the class so after that junior senior year uh, I did all the plays you know this and that and then um, still didn't much care if I was an actor I followed my best buddy who wanted to be a writer, went out to Los Angeles. So I went out to Los Angeles, ended up rooming with him. He was uh, ended up to be a very successful screenwriter producer. So I decided, well, he's successful and here we are in Hollywood, I'll be a screenwriter producer. And that didn't work. So we got in an argument one day and he said, why don't you go out and do what you're trained to do and be an actor. So I went out and uh, to a little theater out on the beach, out in Hermosa Beach in California. And I got a part in a play that Dustin Hoffman I didn't even know who that was. He had just closed it in New York. It was a 26-seat theater, 26, uh, seat theater with card chairs. I didn't think anybody would come, but all the agents came. Wow. And uh, I did pretty well, got good reviews. The agent picked me up, and from then on, I just auditioned with everybody else. Wow, that's incredible. So, so was acting then something that you just always tried because you were interested in it, rather than kind of having these huge aspirations? I tried it because it satisfied my desire to show off. Uh, it, um, my story is not very inspirational, my friend. It's um, just kind of selfish and stupid. Um, <laughs> I just did well and uh, had a funny face, and so I always could support myself through commercials. Started getting them right away. And I've done 22 TV pilots and six series, and none of them lasted past half season, so I guess that means something too. But uh, my wife was a... Broadway actress for many years along with uh, film and TV and then she decided she wanted to be an academician in uh, when she was 50 years old She got a couple of master's degrees 
became the uh, principal in charge of uh, the drama division over at uh, LaGuardia High School, the fame school. And she decided after a while she wanted me to come over there and teach and start a film department, so I did. All in all, I've been teaching about 16 years now, and to answer your question about, about uh, coaching, people just started asking me if I'd coach them. I guess that probably started, gosh, I don't know, about eight years ago, I guess, estimating. And uh, it turned out my people did pretty well. So I just kept doing it. I, why I always love having people like yourself on the podcast is is just to kind of hear the different stories of kind of getting to where you've gotten in your career. And that was something I really, really valued about your class a lot is that you were able to share experiences that you had throughout your career. But then you would also say things along the lines of, you know, this is what works for me. It may work for you. It might not work for you. You know, this is, you know, just kind of what I'm saying based off of, you know, my own experience. One thing that you said that that really resonated with me that I'm wondering if you could go into a little detail with was to uh, know what you're doing, but don't know what you're going to do. And I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit uh, what you mean by that. Sure. Um, one of the people who, who shall go unnamed that I coach is a big movie star. And uh, a few years ago, somebody asked me uh, from the press, what's it like to coach this person? And I thought about it, and that's what came out. I said, so-and-so knows what they're doing, but they don't know what they're going to do. That's when they're at their best. And so I'm a big believer in lots of preparation up front, figure out what's going on in the story, what's going on with the character. Uh, the action of the action of the play or the movie and so forth and then after that uh, I go from what I'll call right now the macro the big stuff a lot of information and so forth to something within the scenes that you can really just play something small so I go from the macro to the micro uh, for example if there's some big preparation that we were to do for some movie that you're in Patrick and we spend a couple of weeks figuring out who the guy is and what's going on and uh, let's say the first scene you have starts with ringing a doorbell before somebody lets you into the house and all stuff happens. Uh, I would just say ring the doorbell, or I would say get in the house. I would say something small rather than all that stuff because that stuff is already in the actor. It's already there. You can't, in my opinion, you can't play subtext. It's too big. So you figure out the subtext up front, you know what you're doing, and then just let it roll. A lot of it's done by the uh, author by the playwright, by the screenwriter, and so on and so forth. So much of it is we, we ride those guys. And so you come in as the person that you're supposed to play and just take a ride on the words. Do you think a lot of times actors don't do that and that's kind of when they run into trouble? Is it that they make text or subtext into a bigger thing and then kind of end up overacting what's going on? I definitely think that that is the case uh, in almost everybody including me most of the time. But uh, I fight against it because I don't think it's in our best interest. Did you ever see uh, The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise? Yes, yeah, it's been a while, but yeah. So he gets captured, they take him into the village, he's got to spend the winter there because the mountain pass is covered with snow, he can't escape, and they let him run around the village. And what he is drawn to is the stick fighting with uh, one, of the, uh, one of his captors who hates him and would just as soon kill him. So throughout that part of the movie, you see him uh, in a contest with this guy. The guy beats him, he tries it again, the guy beats him, tries it again, the guy beats him. And before they get to exit together as samurai together and go and do the rest of the movie, the guy that Tom is playing, is, is staying with, I beg your pardon, sees Tom getting beat again. 
And he comes over in very broken English, and he whispers to Tom, too many mind. That's his way of saying, you're thinking too much, buddy. Too many mind. And so what happens is Tom says, hmm, and he goes into a little trance, and he comes out, and he plays the, the master stick fighter to a draw, which is a major, major victory. And so I would say, if you want to put a few silly words to it, misspoken, but the meaning is there, I think every actor should remember that. Too many mind is not good for you. Right. Yeah, I, it really is this. Uh, I, I feel like when I've gotten into those tendencies at times, I, I end up lost. And it, I feel like there's kind of this frozen element to it as well that, uh, yeah, I, I think actors get stuck. Do, do you think it's a matter of actors kind of doing all of this prep work and then by the time it comes for the performance just trusting themselves and trusting that that work is within them rather than in the moment just like trying to think about everything absolutely yes you ought to be the teacher that's yeah start coaching patrick that's uh that's it that's the problem just go from the big stuff down to the little stuff it's in you but that's a scary leap of faith isn't it to uh, to to believe that you're you know it's a, you're the guy now but i think once you figure that kind of stuff out and you have the acumen that an actor has you have the uh, composition emotionally psychologically physically and all that stuff of an actor that um it's there it's there you're the guy you're the gal you're ready to go all you have to do is take these little actions from scene to scene and um let's see what is that what i tell the guy the other day I have one person still because of the strike, but one person is, is still has an interim agreement. I'm coaching a guy in Romania right now who's doing a great project. And um, the other day, uh, we were talking yesterday, and he said, what do you think I had to do? I got the thing where I have to save the girl and I'm getting shot at and the thing and the horses run out from under me and all kinds of terrible things happen. And I said, uh, clean the table. And he said, yes, yeah, that's it, clean the table. That meant the, the overall action that he had to do, just simple. And, you know, we all have clean tables from time to time. Just pick up this, pick up this, pick up this, pick up this, get it clean. And anybody can do that. But can you save the girl? Can you save the horse? Can you jump on the train? Can you do the thing like that? You'll do it in course of action. But you can't come in with all that in your mind. Then you're playing the scene before the scene plays. Right. Yes. And that actually brings me nicely to something else that I you know, remember you talking about. And I guess this is specifically related to auditions when when actors are going out and they're either putting together self tapes or or even to a degree if they have their audition in person and whether they're performing for, you know, casting directors or performing on camera. There was something that you said about the best way, specifically on camera, actually, the best way to create charisma on camera is by what you don't divulge to to the auditors or, or to the person that you're auditioning for. How do you believe actors can successfully accomplish this? I think it very much relates to what, what we were just talking about in a lot of ways. I agree with you. And by the way, thanks for listening in class. You obviously did. <laughs> uh, I couldn't help it. <laughs> So no, that's, that's kind of you. I just think everything comes from our belly buttons. That's just not actors. That's just everybody. I always think about the uh, canonized and wonderful Mother Teresa. 
and she ministered to the sick, the ill people, the lepers, and people in, in dire need. And I say to myself, that's fantastic. Why did she do it? And my answer is because she wanted to. That's what made her feel good. And I don't think we, um, I don't think actors take a personal stake in things as much as they should. You know, you become the person, you become the character, and so on and so forth, but it's still you. And uh, how are you feeling from time to time? And there's such a, uh, an unpredictable morass of emotion um, that uh, it's all there for us. I always think of the game from the carnival whack-a-mole. I may have mentioned that in class, you know, where you try to hit the different moles that come up like that. To me, that's what human emotion is. Uh, whereas so many of us uh, actors, when we have something that justifies, let's say, a, a feeling of anger, we, we like that feeling of anger, and so we take it all the way to rage. You know? Or we like the feeling of sadness, if that is uh, something that comes up, so we take it all the way to, to tears. But that's not really the way most uh, emotions are. They're really more like a whack-a-mole. This comes up, this goes down. This other one comes up, this goes down. Comes up, goes down. And that speaks against the linear approach, where this is a scene where I'm going to get mad. How about a scene where you just ring the doorbell? and you say the words and you do the action that's dictated in the script and if it makes you mad, it makes you mad. If it makes you sad, it makes you sad. It makes you a little bit of this, a little bit of that. One of the most problematic things, and I, I, don't, I hope I'm not getting off topic, there's so little time in most cases, especially in film and television, not so much in theater, they often give you a week or two to prepare an audition. But in film and TV, you usually get it two days ahead of time, maybe what, maybe the night before you know, you may get two or three auditions if you're hot, you know, or, some, or you're right for something in a row all of a sudden. And so you have to, it has to coalesce. You have to figure out what the character is, what are the lines, this, you have to bring it together, bring it together. And hope that you get enough time so that you come and you, you are a, a cohesive character the next day or the day after for your audition or for your, uh, or your, for your job. And what it, what it neglects is what a mess people are. We're all a mess. And to me, it's the mess that sells in an audition. It may not be much, you know, you don't have to go in there and, and spill your food. But it's the, it's the, uh, the fragment. Uh, I call them the cracks. The, um, the stuff that's not part of a perfect palette. So by necessity, it's very problematic. Uh, by necessity, we have to bring everything together. But then so often, it's all the time, it's so often when I coach people and they're, they're putting together a, a self-tape or something like that, which I do over Zoom or sometimes in person, and they just won't stop until it's perfect. Well, perfect is not people. Perfect is not people. I once said to a very prominent casting director who was an old pal of mine, I said, you know what I go for? I go for a rhythmic. I go for anomaly. I go for quirkiness. I go for a mess. She said, that's it, that's how people get work, that's how I give them work. And if you're thinking you're in L.A., you're in uh, New York, you're in you know, London, you're in some of these big cities, most of the actors are going to be good, and most of them can put stuff together, make a nice presentation. And so casting sees that one after the other, after the other, after the other, thousands of us trailing in front of their eyeballs 365 days out of the year. The ones they stop for are the ones who are just a little bit ragged, just a little bit of a mess, in my opinion. How do you think that actors can tap into those imperfections or or allow themselves to 
to kind of eke through the cracks of you know this uh, and i guess in a lot of ways avoid a, a perfect audition i think that uh, i <laughs> i have something i, I call uh, i call it topical direction that i will give people and i don't do this when i'm coaching i do this when i'm when i'm teaching but i apply it also when i'm coaching which is just stuff that is that is not organic I have something, for example, uh, that I call a move without a move. And the intention of this is to give an actor what it feels like to look like a real human being on camera. And so what I do is I say, uh, I say, all right, this is a move with um, no move. And so I say, I stand still. And I say, I'm, I'm going to the store to buy some apples, but that's no big deal because I like apples. Then I say, now this is a move with a move. And I stand still, and then I move to the right or to the left. I say, I'm going to the store to buy some apples. And I move, and I say, but that's no big deal because I like apples. And then I say, now this is a move without a move. And I stand still, but I do this. I'm going to the store to buy some apples, but that's no big deal because I like apples. So I didn't move, but I moved. Now, when I teach these things, when I demonstrate them, they are not organic. They're just little topical things that I ask people to do. The point of which, of which is, if the actor tries it, and the actor likes it, the actor will adopt it, it will become part of the body, it will become part of the performance, and it will become organic. So this is an outside-in, this is one of the ways that I approach it, where I do this and a million other corny things that I have to say, where the actor gets to try on various little things just as an exercise. And if they like it, they take to it, they adopt it, and it becomes all kinds of stuff. So what does that amount to in terms of your, your uh, question? Sometimes just to feel free on camera, which is really tough to do, because the camera's right in your face. It's, it makes you very self-conscious. Sometimes the, the be, one of the best ways to, to free yourself up and become a little more ragged, a little more relaxed, is just to try on stuff like that. And that's why I, I, uh, that's why I recommend those kinds of things, and that's why I, I suggest them in class. And then when you become more, re more relaxed like that, you, you can also approach it this way. Let's say the line is, I'm going to kill you. That's the line, okay? Well, I'm going to kill you means I'm going to kill you. So if I say, I'm going to kill you, and then the other tough guy comes in and says, I'm going to kill you, and the other tough guy comes in and says, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to ask my actor to say it and smile. I'm going to kill you. I'm still going to kill you, Patrick. <laughs> but it's the only person in the whole, probably the whole line of killers who's going to do something different than the casting person is going to go, whoa, like this. A third thing I will say, and I don't have this, uh, this is not a complete presentation as a, uh, an answer to your question, is just to be selfish. I don't mean selfish like you want something from some other actor. It's just to take your time in terms of, this is your time on camera. This is show business. This is your, this is your time to show. And so I might say to one of my clients, one of my actors, uh, have you ever killed anybody? And invariably they say no. I say, how would you feel if you killed somebody? How would you feel if you killed that person? How would you feel if you raped that woman? How would you feel if you abused that child? And it gives them pause. And it's that sort of a thing, Patrick. It's that pause. It's that thought. It's that caroming off your own, your own sensibilities that is legitimate for an actor to use and to indulge in. You don't want to sit there for an hour and a half to answer those questions to yourself. But if somebody says... You, would you kill that guy, Tommy? Rather than just saying, yeah, boss. I might go, 
Yeah, boss, I will. Because it means something to me personally. It's not just the character. It's not just somebody who wrote, us, wrote somebody else and I'm pretending automatically that I'm him so I automatically respond. So it's a kind of a self-indulgence, but in a professional context. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. And I mean, I imagine too, in a lot of ways, these these types of things hopefully it would become easier for the actor over time as they're practicing them and as they're implementing them into just their practice as an actor. Definitely. And I'll tell you something else. This cracks me up. I mean, because I've been doing this stuff since 1969. And so it's been quite a bit of stuff, even though I'm not a big shot, but I've been a working guy, done a lot of stuff. And actors don't take advantage of what the script gives you. So let's say The Rock... Dwayne Johnson, right? All right, so let's say I'm in the movie with Dwayne Johnson, okay, and I'm 5'8 and uh, old. But they cast me, and it says I, I beat up The Rock. Me. Then I can beat up The Rock. Right. Let's see, take, take me, this old guy right here with this face, and it says, uh, who's beautiful, uh, who just played Barbie? Oh, Margot Robbie. I don't remember anything. Margot Robbie, well... She falls for me. It says it in the script, she falls for me. That means she falls for me, Patrick. <laughs> we don't take our full due that is given to us. So if you play a character that may have a swagger or somebody who is the Lothario or somebody who is the, the tough guy or somebody who's the smartest guy on Wall Street, actors don't go far enough, in my firm opinion, to take that and go to the as far as you want to with it if it says you're something you're something that's what you are if you do that just that might go into by way of answering your previous question which is hey if i'm the smartest guy on wall street i don't i'm smarter than all of you people i'll take my time i'll do what i want i'll that's really what informs part of that's part of what informs your behavior being relaxed with what you're playing uh, giving yourself permission to take time, not just being a, a somebody who parrots the lines, so to speak. Right. Absolutely. But somebody who's really the guy. And would you say this is a big reason why decision making in, especially I guess in auditions, but I mean, even when you're performing as well, but speaking about auditions, why decision making is so important? I want to be, I want my actors and I want to be when I'm the actor, when I'm auditioning, I want to be in on the seminal level of creating the character. How can I do that? I'm not the writer. How can I be in on the seminal level? Well, when you turn it over to me, I'm going to make decisions about what you've given me. You've given me what the actor says, what the actor does, in the context of the story. If I just get the sides, in the context of the story as best I can tell. I use the breakdown that comes from the, uh, the information from the agent and so on and so forth. And then I make decisions without counseling the writer, without counsel of the director. And that brings me right there. That brings me in on the, on the seminal creation of the character. Rather than just going by nothing, just being amorphous uh, or no. I want to assemble the person so that when I go on film for a self-tape, self -tape, when I go record a self-tape, or when I go in in person, which I hope eventually we get back to, at least in part, I present the guy in my, who, in my opinion, that's who it is. 
And I'm of, of the firm belief that if I or my actors present somebody definitively who I, I believe is, 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 the, is the guy, then they've got somebody to say, no, no, he's not so mad. No, he's a little more mad. No, he's a little less emotional. No, it doesn't mean so much to him. No, it means a little more to him. Otherwise, I go in there like an amoeba. And first of all, I don't think it's impressive. I don't think it's bold. I don't think it's brave. I don't think it's in our best interest. And then the casting director, if you get a second shot or something, uh, they say, uh, okay, well, why don't you try him a little more this or just a little bit more of that? No, no, no. I'm going to show him what he who he is, and then they've got something to bounce off of and then give me some accurate direction as to what they may prefer. Yeah. So be, being able to make decisions as an actor, I, I feel like in a lot of ways it gives you more freedom to to be in control, yeah. to be in control of of who this person is that you're portraying. It gives you complete freedom. You're absolutely right. It's your God. It's you. It's in your you in your room off of your computer, writing down whatever you're doing or running around your room and practicing whatever you the movement. How would this person walk? How would this person uh, this that and the other? It's it's a it's it's such an important time. Not just the obvious importance of uh, getting an audition and studying it and you know just learning the lines this and the other. It, it's an important time if you embrace it as an opportunity to be a co-creator, to really get it. And that's where I that's where I go for. I like to call it lock and load, just because it sounds aggressive and I like saying it. When I lock and load a character, that's the moment I live for. That's the moment I start off with, where I figure, and I have ways to do it, as you know from class. I have actual little techniques by which to one little device as to who the person is another little device as to what the person wants another one to keep them from to, to know what they're what's keeping them from it another to give them a little bit of a backstory and so forth which actually comes from Stanislavski called a subjective biography and before you know it I get a little stripe of this this one aspect a little of this little of this little of this little of this and because I'm an actor or because my actors are actors that's enough it insinuates itself into my body, and I become the guy, and you become the guy. But it's, the, it's a very important point where it's, it's not just nuts and bolts. It's an actual, personal, individual, unique, creative input from the actor at that moment when you're assembling the character. <laughs> oh, it's just so good and so important as well in... in the preparation to then set yourself up for success for what we talked about before being able to kind of leave everything behind and to, to know what you're doing, but not know what you're going to do. It goes back to what we were saying before. I'm curious. I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, we were talking about a lot of things that actors could do to set themselves up well, to become the best actor that they can be. But a big thing that we don't have control over, at least to a large degree, is our appearance. Of course, we can wear makeup or have uh, different, you know, hairstyles or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, actors certainly fall into a specific type. And so I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners, why is it important for us to have an idea of our type? Or I guess in other words, what product we're selling with regards to our physical appearance. If you're selling shoes, you better know the shoes. You know, you got to know about shoes. And um, we're all a shoe. You know, we're all we're all a dishwasher. 
you got to figure out what your face is good for, what you can do with your face, what you better not do with your face, and, uh, and, on, and on and on, just to know the product. I mean, it's pretty basic, in my opinion. And you know what? It doesn't, it sounds like it, um, this type stuff, like it limits you. Well, it does. It limits you to a degree. But in a way, you, you don't have any control over it. Well, in a huge way, you don't have any control over it because what you're going to be brought, what you're going to be cast as are given opportunities for audition, uh, auditioning as, it comes from the casting director. They look at me and say, no, not Brad Pitt. So, okay, not Brad Pitt. I'm not going up for that guy's parts, but maybe I'm going up for another character guy's parts, maybe him, maybe, and so forth like that. One way or another, I can't do anything about that part. The only thing I can do anything about is what I do with this product right here. So to sell it most effectively, I need to understand it. It's just as simple as that. And what I do invariably early on in my uh, classes is I put somebody on a mark and uh, point the camera at them. I stand next to the camera, give them a good off-camera look, and I just ask them some nonsense questions or whatever just to, just to watch them, their gestures and so on and so forth and their, feel their personality. And then we put it up on the monitor and... Uh, and I pretend I'm a casting person, and I say, well, this person looks like they're Ivy League type. You know, looks like there's some money there. Um, or this person looks like an axe murderer. This person looks dangerous. Or this person looks like they, they're made to suffer. Or this person, the casting person, might bring in because it looks like they're not made to suffer, and so how heartrending to see them suffer. Little little uh, cross-casting there and this and that and the other. So those are possibilities that you might think of if you get to know your product. What am I likely good at? What am I? I used to get all kinds of on-camera commercials in when I was a young man. And I would just, uh, a lot of it was the feel of the following face. Just kind of stupid looking, naive, <laughs> young kid. You know, and the closest I've ever been to good looking was I was sort of cute when I was young. And um, they bought that. that. That sold. And I knew it. After a while, I knew it. So when I would go in for a certain type of product, a certain type of a job, there would that there that guy would be. That'd bring him out. I know that with the structure of my face, and I won't go into details on this one, you'll all your uh, your viewers will uh, fall out of their chairs. But if I smile a full smile, it's very unattractive. It's just too much, and it curls up and it's sort of like the Joker, you know. And um, so I don't do that. I don't do that. But if I were a young man or something and I and happened to be playing, you know, some guy out of Animal House or something and I'm completely drunk at some some uh, raging party or something, maybe I would do it then. Then everybody's grotesque, everybody's nuts, everybody's sloppy looking. You just have to know. You have to know. It's, it's good to know the product. A lot of talk about that. It's just good to know the product. And do actors, is the best way for actors to learn or figure that out is it through at asking coaches like yourself? Is it through conversations with casting directors or directors? Actors, yeah, the answer to that is yes. Ask anybody you want to. But, the, but, but with all this stuff, actors are smart. Actors are people, and most people are smart, or at least they're smart enough to know what's in their best interest. At least, you know, actors don't use their own authority enough and so we go around so nervous why because everybody else is looking at us well part of the people who are uh, 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 one of the people looking at us is us you look in the mirror every day and you brush your teeth or comb your hair or whatever you do nobody knows your face like you do but just to own it as they say just to own it just to take responsibility 
we have agents, hopefully, if you're lucky enough to get an agent or a manager or both or something like that. And so they sell us. But they don't sell us when we're auditioning. They don't sell us when we're on, when we're on set. We sell us. Nobody, nobody should be an expert in you more than you. And uh, it's just because we, it's for all kinds of reasons, but also we're looking for approval. We're looking for, and we're in a business where somebody has to say, I will let you do this thing. I will hire you. I will let you do this thing. So we're, all, we're already looking out, out, out. But I think the strongest position is to look in. Those people out there will still say what they want to say. They'll still hire us or not. But to live out there, that's a dangerous place. To live in here, where there is some control, how I behave, how I assemble a character, how I emphasize my gestures, what I, what I, um, when I get angry, for example, I carry all my tension here, my, atten my tension here. And so just when, I want to, when I'm really angry, when I want to sound the toughest, the roughest, the scariest, and then I'm going like this, and I can because, <laughs> because I carry all my tension here. Well, I know that. So I can work around it. I, can, I happen to be able to cry pretty easily. I don't know what, what kind of claim to fame that is. But I know that after I cry for a little while, if it's too full out, it's too much. It gets sloppy, and it gets ugly, and... Nobody wants to look at that. So I know that about myself. So I can legislate how I behave. I can, I, I can handle that. Know yourself, take responsibility for it, for it first and foremost, and then if you want to ask other people what they think, sure, of course. Yeah, if anything, it's a great exercise in self-awareness as well, especially when you're the product that you're selling. You said it, pal, that's it, correct. And I'm wondering, kind of on the flip side of that, I know something else that we talked about in class this past summer is the importance of not pandering to the audience and being aware of, you know, what the audience knows or or how the audience is perceiving what's being played out, whether it's on camera or whether you're in a theater. Does not pandering to the audience kind of go back to what we were talking about early in, earlier in our conversation with regards to uh, when it comes to performing, it's just a matter of, of doing what the, what the text says. How, how can actors go about performing for an audience without, you know, kind of nudging and like winking to them and being like, oh, yeah, you know, this is this is what's going on here. The way to do that is don't do it. I think the audiences are abused. I think actors abuse audiences. Audiences... Uh, no matter what we do, no matter what we show them, no matter what we display, it's never as dramatic, it's never as comedic, it's never as effective as what's going on in the mind of the audience member. That's where the best of it lives. And so when we bracket, when we indicate, when we button, we're taking that away from the, uh, from the audience. Leave them alone. Leave the audience alone. Mind your own business. Do, do your job. Do the, do the story. I don't even care if my actors are entirely intelligible in most cases. Of course, we're, I'm not talking about doing Shakespeare, you know, where the, where the words are the stars as, as much as the people. Um, just, just regular people. Sometimes you, you're a little sloppy with words. I have, as I say, I have all these corny little devices. One of them uh, I call an interstitial interrupt. So it just means in the middle of what you're saying, uh, let's see, what would I say? Um, 
Well, I'll go back to the apples. I'm going to the store to buy some apples, but that's no big deal because I like apples. If I say that, I'm going to the store to buy some apples, but that's no big deal because I like apples. Instead, I would say it like this. I'm going to the store to buy some apples, but that's no big deal because I like apples. That's a much more interesting way to do it. But that has to do with me and my performance. I'm not going to go like this. I'm going to the store to buy some apples, but that's no big deal because I like them as if out to the audience and say, you know, don't worry, folks, if you need me, I'll be at the store <laughs> buying apples. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they don't know that. Yeah. Just everybody take it easy. Just do your job and leave the freaking audience alone. Uh, Todd, this is, is so important. I, I, I feel like I could just chat with you for a long time, but we'll, we'll wrap it up for today. I, I cannot thank you enough for, for joining me on the actor cast and, and not only for taking the time to join me on the show, but I just, I really appreciate your insights as an actor and your willingness to share those with, you know, emerging and aspiring actors as well. To go, kind of go back what I said earlier, I just feel like, and it was a short time, you know, just for the summertime, but I felt like I learned so much from you and I know that my fellow classmates did as well so I, I can't thank you enough for for joining me on the show Todd before signing off I'm just wondering if you could share any parting words of advice that you may have for our actors tuning in have a backup this is a brutal business everybody should try whatever they want to try especially if you're young but uh, have a backup and it can be within the industry. If you want to be an actor, also learn how to do lights. If you want to, you know, or learn how to do camera, learn how to do sound. Something so you can sustain yourself. Because one of the toughest things in the world is simply to keep your self-esteem healthy. If you're feeling uh, down, grim, anywhere even close to despair, it will affect your ability to audition. And I start with audition rather than work because audition is the doorway to getting work. So uh, whether you work out, if it's, if it's as, plain, as plain and simple and available as that, or you take care of plants, or you volunteer on something, you know, or you have an, another job that you can do or that you do, something online, do it. Have a backup, because this is not a slam dunk. That's what I say. Awesome. That's certainly practical advice for our listeners today. Todd, thank you so much again for taking the time. You're welcome. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Great. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of ActorCast. You can let us know your thoughts on this episode by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching you all in the next episode, and you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create. <laughs>